Our scripture this morning is John chapter 5. Today we're going to be considering the theme of the Son does nothing on his own. And that's the teaching of John chapter 5, verse 17. We're also going to be looking at a few other scriptures from the gospel in Matthew 10 and Matthew 15. In John 5, verse 17, we read as follows. Jesus said to them, My Father is always working to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. And then if you would turn to Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew 10, beginning with verse 5. These 12, the 12 disciples, these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out the demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Then also Matthew 15, beginning at verse 21. And this is the account of the Canaanite woman, also known as the Syrophoenician woman. Verse 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him. Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. 
and her daughter was healed from that very hour. When Jesus walked this earth, he was keenly interested in what the Father was doing. Every day, he wanted to track what God in heaven was doing. Jesus was very intentional about discerning on a daily basis uh, what was taking place from a spiritual perspective. In the John 5 scripture, Jesus says the Son can do nothing on his own. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Every day during his three, three and a half year ministry on earth, Jesus thought about, prayed about, reflected on what it was that was going on in the spiritual realm. And then he would ponder how he could fit into that. A few examples. In Luke 7, we read the story about the Roman centurion who had uh, a servant who was seriously sick. And so he sends some of the elders of the Jews to Jesus because he wants to see this servant get healed. He wanted Jesus to come and heal the servant. And the elders of the Jews added, by the way, Jesus, you should seriously consider uh, helping out this Roman centurion because he's an all-around good guy. He loves our nation so much that he built a synagogue for us. So Jesus, yes, it would be great if you could help him out. So Jesus goes towards the centurion's house. He's not far from his residence when the centurion sends friends to meet Jesus. Uh, Jesus, the centurion, says this. It's not necessary for you to come to my house. I am not worthy for you to come to my house, but uh, I am like you a man who is under authority. I say to this servant, go, and he goes, and this servant, come, and he comes. And Jesus marveled. He was stunned, amazed at the faith of that servant. And so he says, this kind of faith, this caliber of faith, I haven't seen in all of Israel. And that servant was healed at that very moment. Because Jesus sensed this was the Father that was at work. And this was a Roman. He was a Gentile. Then in the next chapter, Luke 8, we have the story of the woman with the issue of blood. For 12 long years, she had this bleeding problem. She wanted desperately to be healed, but there was an obstacle big group of people crowding around Jesus. And, Jesus. and this woman is thinking, you know, if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I will be healed. And so what does she do? She just weaves her way through the crowd, through this person on the left, and slips by that person on the right. Uh, she gets really close to Jesus, and then she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, and then she just disappears back into the crowd, healed and unnoticed, or so she thought. 
Who touched me? Says Jesus. And in effect, the disciples say, Jesus, you've got to be kidding. There's all pe- kinds of people, hundreds of people around pushing and shoving, trying to get near. No, 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 no. I felt power, dunamis, going out from me. Who touched me? Well, then this woman realized that her idea of a under-the-radar miracle uh, wasn't going to work, and so she comes trembling before Jesus and tells her whole story. And Jesus says to her, woman, you have great faith. And so she experienced a wonderful healing at the hands of Jesus. Again, when Jesus sensed that there was power going out from him, he knew that this was a father at work. By the way, this is a passive miracle of our Lord Jesus. Uh, Just about every other miracle of Jesus was he was actively involved in healing uh, that person. But this was a passive. He, He wasn't involved at all. Someone just came up to him, touched the hem of his garment, and all of a sudden she was healed, and And he wanted to know uh, what God was doing. He knew that this was the Father that was at work. I can do nothing by myself. I can do only what I see the Father doing. Uh, So he was aware that this was uh, a way in which his heavenly Father was at work. Third example, the Canaanite woman. In Matthew 15, Jesus was tired. He had been ministering to many people in the Gennesaret area. He came to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which was outside of uh, the Israelite area. Uh, He was in Canaanite country or Gentile country. And the scripture says that uh, they withdrew. Jesus and the disciples withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He wasn't looking for ministry opportunities at this point. He wanted some rest and or a prayer retreat away from the crowds. But then, out of the blue, this woman shows up crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus does not answer her a word just seems very unfriendly, indifferent. It was a cold response. But this woman was persistent. She doesn't leave. And so the disciples say, Jesus, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. And so Jesus' next response seems to be rather harsh. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so I'm not ministering to any Canaanites or Syrophoenicians or any other Gentile group. I'm focused on the lost sheep of the house of Israel, just Jews. So sorry, Gentiles don't come to me looking for a miracle. Well, this Gentile woman was nothing if not persistent. She knows Jesus is capable of healing her daughter. She knows that Jesus has a compassionate heart. So she comes and she kneels before Jesus and says, Lord, please help me. A genuine appeal, a from-the-heart request. 
But still, Jesus is unmoved. He says to this woman, kneeling in front of him, begging for help, he says directly to her face, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Some people today would say, now that's a racist statement on the part of Jesus. Jesus was discriminating against the Canaanites. You can imagine Peter pulling Jesus aside and saying, Jesus, I understand you're not going to heal this woman, but you have to be more socially aware. You need to be more politically correct, especially when you're in Gentile territory. It's not a good idea to call this woman a dog. And how does the woman respond? Does she say, are you calling me a dog? Well, that's a very insulting thing to do. I've had it with you. I'm out of here. She doesn't say that at all. Because she knows that this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a healing, a very significant healing to take place. And she knows that uh, this demon is harassing her daughter in a big way. And so she says, Jesus, even the dogs get a few scraps of what gets thrown under the table. Jesus, all I'm asking for is a few scraps of your healing power. And as soon as she responded in that way, all of a sudden it clicked with Jesus. She, it, just like that, Jesus realized that the Father was at work. That even though this woman wasn't a part of the nation of Israel, she was from an outside group, a Canaanite group, that Jesus realized that the Father was at work. And so he says to her, Woman, you have great faith. The demon has left your daughter. Jesus was thinking, I'm in Gentile territory here. I'm not doing any miracles in this area. All I'm interested in is getting some rest, having a prayer retreat. God had other plans. Jesus changes his mind and performs a miracle because he realizes through this woman's incredible response of faith that God was at work. The perspective of our Lord Jesus during his three-and-a-half-year ministry was, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so I'm not doing any miracles for the Gentiles. However, I do make exceptions for the Gentiles when I see powerful affirmations of faith. So whether it's the Roman centurion, or this Canaanite woman, Jesus recognized it for what it was. My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus sent out his disciples on a short-term ministry assignment, and he tells them in the scripture that we read, don't go anywhere among the Gentiles. We don't know whether the short-term ministry assignment was three weeks or two months. Go nowhere among the Gentiles. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
and uh, proclaim God's word and heal the sick. And, and they had a fantastic ministry experience. It wasn't until after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection that he says to his disciples, okay, now you can go. And we're not limiting ourselves to the lost sheep of the house of Israel anymore. Now go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you until the end of the age. And then he says again to them after his resurrection um, in Acts chapter 1, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We need to be also alert as to how God is at work today. How is he at work around us? How is he at work in our body of believers here at Cottage Grove? How is he at work in Kalamazoo in Michigan where we live while we're here in the USA? How is he at work in Papua New Guinea? We try to stay alert as to what God is doing um, wherever we are. And it takes time. Uh, you have to be intentional about thinking and, and searching out how it is that God is at work. Because that was Jesus' thing. While his, during his three-and-a-half-year ministry, he was always thinking about what it was, uh, what the Father was doing. In his book, Experiencing God, Henry Blackaby says this, God is always at work around us. Uh, this is a great Bible study, by the way, uh, that Henry Blackaby put together on experiencing God. God is always at work around us, and that we need to be intentional about observing how God is at work. And another one of the principles is we need to join God in what he is doing. Um, The Holy Spirit was a big factor in the outreach of the early Christian church in the book of Acts. On his second missionary journey, Paul travels with Silas to modern-day Turkey. They visit Derby and then Lystra. In Lystra, they meet Timothy for the first time. The locals speak well of Timothy, so Paul invites him to join them as they travel around. They visit a number of towns, they plant churches, and it says that the churches grew daily in number. Daily. Then the three of them travel further west to the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and they preach the gospel and plant some more churches, but the scripture says they were kept by the Holy Spirit from entering the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter the region of Bithynia, but somehow or other, the Holy Spirit said to them, no, don't go there. You can imagine at that point, Paul was saying, Lord, you've called me to proclaim the gospel um, to the Gentiles. Now, where do you want us to go? You're closing this door over here, and you're closing that door over there, and uh, 
That night, however, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come on over, come on over and help us. And the next morning, you can imagine uh, Paul saying to Silas and Timothy, you guys ever heard of Europe? No, we've never heard of Europe. Well, that's where we're going. Last night in a dream, I saw a man from Macedonia waving his arms, inviting us, come on over to Macedonia. And so the three of them cross over uh, into Macedonia, and in just a few weeks' time, they plant churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and Corinth. And wow, Europe responds to the gospel favorably, big time. 700 years later, in the northwestern part of Europe, Boniface reached out to Dutch people for the first time with the gospel. Initially, the Dutch were very resistant, very stubborn. Dutch people stubborn? Go figure. In fact, they were so vehemently opposed to the gospel message that they killed this missionary, Boniface. But eventually, the Dutch embraced the gospel, and later they endured much persecution for the sake of Christ. Paul, Silas, and Timothy had to seek the leading of the Holy Spirit. They had to be intentional about thinking it about what is it that the Father is doing? How is he at work? How is the Holy Spirit leading us? And the Holy Spirit somehow or other communicated to Paul and Silas that they were not to go to the province of Asia, not to enter the region of Bithynia. So uh, for a few days, they just stayed put, perplexed as to where to go next. And then Paul had this vision of the man from Macedonia. And so, yes, it takes thinking, it takes prayer, it takes reflection to discern what it is that the Father was doing. It takes time to think and perceive how the Spirit is working. And so the question before us is, what is it that God is doing in our lives right here? Our lives personally, uh, our corporate life here at Cottage Grove. Just in the last uh, few weeks here, I learned in the Kalamazoo area, and what's going on in Michigan right now is that all the public schools are closed. Um, they are not meeting in person. But the Christian schools are open. And so Kalamazoo uh, Christian High School has about 170 students, something like that. Well, now there's a number of folks from the community, secular, how many of them are Christian or not, I'm not even sure, but who are eager to send their kids, because the public high schools aren't open, they're eager to send their kids to the Christian high school. And so there's now a waiting list. Some have already been uh, admitted and are a part of um, the school sessions right now. Um, and the same thing is happening in East Martin. Martin is about halfway between Kalamazoo and Grand Rapids, and I've uh, learned also another uh, one school, one or a couple schools in Grand Rapids area, the same thing. So I said, you know, this is something that God is doing. 
God is opening the door so that uh, some of these kids that are from a secular background are being exposed to the teachings of the Word of God that get presented in the Christian high schools. Um, and so I said, this, is, this is, could be a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So I call up the banner and I say, you know, it would be great if uh, you guys could do an article on this because God is doing something here. Um, and I found out we do have a sport, sporting church out in Linden, Washington, and uh, the same thing is happening there. Uh, there's uh, a waiting list of people from the community wanting to send their kids to Christian grade school or the Christian high school. So, uh, yes, to be alert as to what it is uh, that God the Father is doing. We rejoice in the good things that are happening in Papua New Guinea. Uh, so that uh, we've had opportunity to meet with uh, the number two guy in education in the country, and he pointed us to go to the curriculum uh, development person in Port Moresby, the capital of the country. And so I met with him and said, uh, here are some possible resources that could be used in personal development classes or in religious education classes. And so he was uh, uh, very interested in looking at those books. Um, we are just rejoicing greatly in what God is doing. Um, and also, with respect to the PNG government, we've had a very corrupt prime minister. It's such a striking contrast in Papua New Guinea, huh? to, as we try to observe what it is that the Lord is doing. Um, because there's such a great response to the gospel, and you can teach the word of God in the grade schools and high schools and the religious education classes and so on, but at the same time, there's a great level of corruption in the government. Um, the previous prime minister who was in power from 2011 to last year, 2019, uh, was just very corrupt and had stolen a great deal of money from the government. Uh, we're very thankful that now there's a new prime minister. Um, and there was a about to be a vote of no confidence in June of 2019. Uh, well, the Prime Minister re resigned from his position just prior to that vote of no confidence because he knew that he was going to lose. And uh, so there was some maneuvering, and the person who ended up being the new Prime Minister is named James Modipi. He is a Christian man. He's a Seventh-day Adventist, a Christ-centered Seventh-day Adventist. His father was an SDA missionary, and one of the statements that James Modipi made in his first 10 days at the helm was this, I worship regularly, not because I'm a saint, but because I'm a sinner. Now, when I heard that, I said, wow, now that's, that's pretty good. You don't hear many uh, prime ministers or presidents around the world making that kind of a statement. Not bad for of prime ministers. None of the previous seven prime ministers since the founding of the nation in 1975, uh, none of the previous uh, prime ministers in Papua New Guinea said anything like that, anything even close to that. 
Now, it's hard to know, you know, what kind of leadership this Prime Minister James Modipi uh, is going to provide, but I'm hoping that he will be seeking the Lord and spending much time in prayer before the Lord um, for his leadership decisions in PNG. In Revelation 3, verse 8, Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, I have set before you an open door which no one can shut. Now, I personally believe that God is saying the same thing today to the church in Papua New Guinea. I have set before you an open door which no man can shut. And so, yes, please pray for us that the Lord would help us to walk through that open door. Father God, we come before you this day to give you thanks that you are always at work to this very day. In September 2020, you are always at work. And we realize that sometimes it's in different parts of the world uh, in which you are working in a bigger way than in other parts of the world. I think of the one Christian leader who says that the center of the Christian faith has shifted from Western Europe to North America and has now again shifted from North America to the global south. And so we thank you that in many less developed countries in Latin America and in Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa and in Asia, that you are at work in a big way so that your word can be proclaimed. Uh, we thank you and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use these opportunities in a big way to transform the lives of high school students in Papua New Guinea, grade school students as well, um, so that they may come to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in your name. Lord Jesus, amen.